and this is the same chart from last week. I put it up in like four bullet points on the whiteboard last week, and I've kind of prettied it up and made it into a little chart here. Because last week, God promised King Ahaz of Judah that he would protect him from attacks from Israel and Aram. And we compared the response of King Ahaz to the response of Joseph. And we talked about how the world was impacted by their different responses to God. Ahaz's rejection of Yahweh is going to lead directly to the annihilation of Israel and Judah. While Joseph's response of acceptance and humility made the way smooth for the birth of Jesus. So we were in uh, Isaiah chapter seven and eight, but the really amazing part is in chapter nine. It continues. Isaiah's prophecy continues in a famous, famous vision of the end times when, as we know from all the prophets, all nations and all people will humble themselves, will know God, will come to God. Isaiah in chapter nine proclaims the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them and every garment rolled in blood, everything having to do with war will be destined for burning. So this is like an end time view of this whole continuum. So uh, Isaiah 7, 8, and 9, they all go together. And then he says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's in Isaiah 9, 6. It is in the context of the child we've been studying. That, it drives me nuts when, when, <laughs> Passages are taken out of their context. So knowing the context of the babies makes a huge difference in how we would understand this part of the prophecy. This is the child of God's promise that he will always be with us, that he will protect us and that he loves us, that he is God. For unto us, a child is born as a sign, and the government will be on his shoulders, not any of the nations you're afraid of. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of the Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. Wow, right? So we've been following Isaiah as he struggles to get the attention of the kings of Judah. We're going to leave him there for just a bit and pick up the thread of the story in Israel. You'll remember King Pekah from last week. He's the one who allies himself with King Rezin of Aram, and they attack Judah and Jerusalem and carry off thousands of captives. But then Obed the prophet speaks, and King Pekah and the soldiers return all their captives to Judah. It was quite a story. 
King Rezin of Israel ends up get I mean King Rezin King, King Rezin of Aram ends up getting killed shortly afterwards in an invasion by Tiglath-Pileser of Assyria. Tiglath-Pileser conquers Aram, Phoenicia, Philistia, pretty much every part of Israel and the surrounding area, leaving not much more in Israel than the fortified capital city of Samaria. And it is into this mess that the voice of another prophet speaks. His name is Hosea. I mentioned him briefly back in class 31 when we were looking at the story of the Levite's concubine at the end of Judges. That was the story where the Levite cut his concubine up into 12 parts and sent pieces throughout Israel as a call to action. We talked about how that story was written as an epilogue to Judges and was probably written after the fall of Israel, and it was written as a sort of cautionary tale, an allegory. So we've caught up to ourselves now, and we have come to the actual events that give rise to that allegory. It is through Hosea that the Lord tells Israel, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. But you know, the Lord will not let Israel go completely down the tubes without sending the strongest, most graphic message he can. He will do whatever it takes to get their attention. And the man he calls upon is Hosea. Now, the images I'm showing you for this story are the Sunday school version and aren't nearly gritty enough to suit me. So you'll have to use your imagination today. This is not a pretty story full of happy white people. Just saying. The Lord tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute, a woman known to be promiscuous, and tells Hosea, let it be known that you are marrying her because Israel is like an adulterous wife, guilty of being unfaithful to Yahweh. Well, the the woman Hosea marries is named Gomer, and she and Hosea get down to business and have a son. And the Lord tells Hosea, name the boy Jezreel, and tell the king of Israel that the boy is called Jezreel, because I will soon punish um, Israel, the house of Jehu, uh, who was a former king of Israel, for the massacre at Jezreel. Now, if you were here for class 50, you'll remember that Jehu was a military commander who was anointed king of Israel by Elisha, the prophet. And Jehu then proceeded to kill King Joram of Israel, King Ahaziah of Judah, and Jezebel, the queen mother. Samaria is here where that red star is, and this massacre took place at or near the valley of Jezreel, right here where the red circle is, where the palace was. Um, They weren't, all three of them weren't killed all in the same place. We know Jehu was anointed as king by the Lord, and that those other kings were wicked, and Jezebel for sure was wicked, And that what Jehu did had been prophesied beforehand. But the Lord is still angered at the bloodshed of brother against brother. This is not how God works. I'm not sure what Jehu was supposed to do, 
but this wasn't it. The Lord's displeasure with Jehu at the time is not recorded in the biblical record. We didn't read anything about that, did we? There's just this comment in Hosea. Nevertheless, Hosea names his firstborn son Jezreel. And Hosea tells the king that the Lord is about to put an end to the kingdom of Jerusalem and the end will come in the valley of Jezreel. So make a note, watch for that later. We're going to watch for the valley of Jezreel and the end of Israel. So Gomer conceives again. This time it's a girl. And the Lord says to name her not loved and to tell the king that the Lord will no longer show love to Israel nor forgive them their constant evil. But despite withdrawing love from Israel, the Lord will continue to love and protect Judah, whom Israel has been attacking. And again, Gamar conceives, and this time she bears a son. This time the Lord says to name him, not my people. And for Hosea to tell the Israelites that you are no longer my people and I am not your God. Now you all know the heart of the Lord by now. We are witnessing the Lord going through a divorce here. He is quite literally divorcing Israel. And he is utterly heartbroken. And with the next breath, he says, in the very place I called you, you are not my people. There in Jezreel, you will one day be called children of the living God. Israel and Judah will be united once more, and you will be like the sand on the seashore, vast beyond measure. That, as we know from hindsight, is an end time prophecy. It has not happened yet. And the Lord also, of course, knows this will be a long, long time coming. For now, Hosea must tell Israel, you are not my wife and I am not your husband. I will no longer love your children for they are children of adultery, which is a meaning idolatry. You will continue to chase after other lovers, meaning the other nations they're looking to for protection, but I will block your way so you will not find them. So I will destroy everything I've given to Israel. I will expose her and show her lovers, those other nations, how lewd she is. No one will want her, not even them. And when she has nothing left at all, then she will think, I will go back to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. And when she does that, I will spurn her. Nope. <laughs> this is the Lord talking. That's not what he says. He says, when she turns to me, I will take her back. I will speak tenderly to her and give her back everything she lost. She will no longer call me my master. That's the name of the Baal idols. No, she will call me my husband. In that day, oops, there's one of our key phrases. We know to be on the lookout for a time shift here. This is probably an end time prophecy coming up. 
in that day, I will covenant with all creatures. There will be peace, no war ever again. And I will betroth you to me forever. Sure enough, that's clearly end time stuff. See how easy it is to pick up when you know what to look for? In that day, says the Lord, I will show my love to the one I called not loved. And to those called not my people, I will say you are my people. And they will answer, you are my God. Meanwhile, Gomer has run off with another man. And the Lord says to Hosea, I want you to show Israel that I will take them back if they will only return to me. Go get Gomer and bring her back home. So poor Hosea goes to do that. He actually ends up having to pay off the other guy. So Hosea makes Gomer promise to be faithful for, quote, many days. And this, too, becomes an object lesson for Israel, because, Hosea says, there are days coming when Israel will have nothing to guide them, no king, no priest, not even any idols. Then, finally, they will look for the Lord. So this is not really part of the storyline, but it's an important message that I think needs to be heard here. It's in Hosea 4, verses 13 and 14. The situation is that the leaders and fathers and husbands and brothers and priests of Israel have made a practice of consorting with shrine prostitutes, as well as being promiscuous and unfaithful in everyday life. And it doesn't say in the text, but we already know that the men in this culture view their wives, concubines, and daughters as property to be taken and abused at will. This still goes on today. And as a pastor, I can tell you that these abused women, really any abused person of any sex, feels a tremendous weight in their soul. Sometimes the burden is expressed as anger and rebellion, and sometimes it's expressed as promiscuity and sexual acting out on the part of the abused person themselves. And sometimes we do not see how this heavy, heavy burden continues to crush the soul of the abused long after the abuse itself stops. But in Hosea 4.14, the Lord says quite clearly that he does not hold the abused person accountable for the abuse, nor even for the resulting behavior. I will not punish, the word means hold accountable, your wives and daughters when they turn to prostitution and adultery because they're men have themselves done all this and more. I'm not saying that an abused person should continue to bear this load of guilt and shame and anger and self-destruction. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that you deserve to live without this burden and that God sees you and understands. There is nothing you need to hide. 
You need have no guilt or shame before God. You are loved in all your anger and brokenness. Use the fighting spirit God has given you to find help. For you were created to be truly loved and cherished. You are loved and cherished. So back to the story. Hosea prophesies to Israel, because your wickedness is so great, you will be completely destroyed. But then the Lord wavers. You can tell his heart is breaking. He says, but how can I give you up? How can I hand you over to destruction? I will not carry out my fierce anger. I will not destroy Israel. For I am God and not a man. I am the Holy One who dwells among you. I will roar and my children will come back from Assyria and I will settle them in their homes. Hmm, That sounds like the end time regathering that has been foretold by the other prophets. It is the pattern we've seen. It's in the chart I gave you. The Lord always ends by forgiving his people and gathering them home to himself. At the end of Hosea, the Lord says, I will heal them and love them freely. You will dwell in my shade and blossom, for your fruitfulness comes from me. So do you think Israel listens or changes in any way? Nope, they do not. And like Hosea, we know that disaster is at hand. You may remember me mentioning a while back that war in this region is seasonal. Kings make war in the drier spring and summer months and withdraw during the rainy season and fall and winter. So realize that being conquered usually means a series of seasonal attacks over a period of years. Last week, Tiglath-Pileser attacked Israel and already carried off thousands into exile, leaving only the capital city of Samaria intact, pretty much a little bit of land around there. We're down to our very last king in Israel. His name is Hosea with an H in the middle. Hosea, not Hosea. Hosea, the king, he assassinates King Pekah to seize what's left of the throne for himself. And that's how Hosea becomes king. He's an assassin. Remember that big green blob from a few weeks ago? Well, Assyria had been just that darker green blob up at the top, and it's now well on its way to becoming the entire larger light green blob. Israel is now pretty much just the city of Samaria inside that red circle. About five years after Hosea takes the throne, Tiglath-Pileser dies and is succeeded by his son, Shalmaneser V, who becomes king of Assyria. And you know how those new kings like to flex. King Hosea knows he's in deep trouble. He's like a flea on the butt of an elephant. So he casts around for help. And his sights land on Egypt. Egypt has not yet been conquered by Assyria. The green blob hasn't gotten quite that far yet. 
So Hoshea sends messengers to Pharaoh Osirkan IV, who's called So in 2 Kings, and they agree that Hoshea will start paying tribute, basically protection money, to the Pharaoh instead of to Assyria. Well, that does not go over well with Shalmaneser, who marches right down to Israel to attack it. Unfortunately for Hoshea, Pharaoh Osirkorn does not send help, so he's trapped. Shalmaneser lays siege to Samaria for three years. And sure enough, Shalmaneser stations his troops in the big, flat, beautiful Valley of Jezreel, just north of Samaria, just as Hosea prophesied. The end result is that Shalmaneser captures Samaria, slaps Hosea in prison for treachery, and deports the rest of the Israelites, settling them in far-flung places across the Assyrian Empire. And that's it, the end. Write this date down, 722 BCE. The very last speck of what was left of Israel is eradicated. Israel is no more. All of the northern tribes have been carried into exile and scattered across the known world, many as far as modern-day Iraq and Iran. Judah and Jerusalem still stand, but Israel is gone. Of course, when Shalmaneser takes all the Israelites out of Israel, he's got to leave someone there to till the land and produce crops and tend the livestock so that tribute can continue to be extracted from the region. But those left are the poorest of the poor. All the nobles and the rich and the leaders, they've all been exiled. So Shalmaneser pulls retainers from the eastern areas around Babylon, and he moves them to Israel to manage things. But the Lord sends lions among them, and the problem gets to be big enough that the governors send word to the king of Assyria, these people don't know how to worship the God of this land, so lions are killing the people off. Notice how the people of these cultures continue to believe so strongly that their gods are tied to their each particular region. We've noticed before that Yahweh as a mobile God is really revolutionary in this respect. So the king of Assyria, who is probably Sargon II at this point, orders that one of the Israelite priests in exile be sent back to live in Bethel and teach the Babylonians and other Assyrian exiles how to worship Yahweh so the lions will stop killing them off. Of course, priest or no priest, each ethnic and cultural group sets up its own familiar gods using the same old hilltop shrines that Israel has been using all along. Idol worship, including child sacrifice, continues without a hiccup. They just assimilate the worship of Yahweh into their existing idol worship. It's a huge mess. It doesn't say whatever happens about the lions, but presumably once the area becomes well populated again, the lion problem resolves. Around the time of Hosea, just before Israel falls, the Lord sends another prophet to Judah in the south. 
His name is Micah. His prophecy is a relatively short one, and it has all the same elements that we now recognize. He opens with some strong day of the Lord imagery about the sovereign Lord coming down from his dwelling place and the mountains melting and valleys splitting apart like wax in a fire. He prophesies the fall of Samaria and the anger of the Lord at the rich and those who try to shut the prophets up. He promises that one day the Lord will gather his remnant back and he himself will be their king. But Micah also prophesies the same things about Zion and Jerusalem in Judah. And one of the most famous passages in all of scripture is in Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You can read Micah on your own, but I want to especially point out chapter five. It's both famous and puzzling. We'll look at it more in our breakout session today. It says, Out of you, Bethlehem, small among the clans of Judah, will come a ruler whose origins are from old, from ancient times. As a result, Israel will be abandoned until she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to Israel. Well, this is widely understood by Christians to be a prophecy about Jesus, a messianic prophecy. But who is that who's in labor and Is this a reference back to the virgin from Isaiah or the, quote, rest of the brothers as Gentiles, people who aren't Jews? Micah continues, this new leader will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they will be safe for his greatness will cover the earth. So far, so good. That definitely sounds like end times and sounds like Jesus, right? But the very next thing is this. And he will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land. Wait, what? That doesn't sound like end times. And then it talks about the remnant of Israel being scattered among the people of the world. We know that. But this isn't a pitiful remnant. This is a strong, vigorous remnant that is powerful and unstoppable. And I, the Lord, will destroy all war and witchcraft, all idols, and cities, and fortresses, and I will take vengeance on the nations who have not obeyed me. Um, He's talking about the foreign nations here. Notice how the Lord includes war in with witchcraft, and idolatry, and riches. That is a very telling list. So this is a confusing sequence. The, the part, and part of it is quoted in Matthew 2, verse 6, specifically as a prophecy of Jesus' birth. When the wise men of the East show up in Herod's court to ask about the newborn king, Herod calls in his own priests and wise men to say, what the heck are they talking about? And they quote this exact prophecy out of Micah 5, that you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's how Herod knows 
Jesus is in Bethlehem. And that's why he kills all the male toddlers in Bethlehem. It's because of this ancient prophecy in Micah. Crazy. But no one ever explains who the woman is who is in labor or why Israel is abandoned during the time of her labor or or why Jesus, you know, whose greatness will reach the end of the earth, will need to deliver Israel from the Assyrians who are long gone by then. Or how the exiles from Israel get strong even before the Lord gathers them back. These things are very puzzling. And so I want us to talk about this. I think it might be helpful to stay together in a single breakout group today. Um, And I want you to know that there's no right or wrong answer here. This prophecy is open for interpretation. So don't feel like you're having to guess at the right answer. Feel free to brainstorm about what it might mean. So turn your microphones and videos back on and pull out your study guides and um, let's take a look. Uh, in, in Micah 5, the Lord says a great leader will arise out of Bethlehem, which is like the smallest, weakest clan, and he will have, quote, origins from old, from ancient times. He will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. His greatness will cover the earth. And then it's used in Matthew 2.6 as a prophecy specifically about Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. So what if Jesus fulfilled this prophecy? Let's take a look at Micah 5.3. I'm going to share my screen to my... um, Esword now. So hopefully you see uh, the Bible verse, the Bible verse here. We'll look at it for a bit. So um, in Micah 5 3, which is this one right here, it says, therefore, you know, this ruler is going to come. He's going to have origins from old. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. So does that make any sense? Can y'all make any sense out of that? <laughs> what do we do? I, I couldn't either. Just FYI. <laughs> that what do what what is the one of the tools we use what's one of our very first first up tools out of our backpack that we use when we come to a passage that makes no sense think of some of the tools we do that plot line that you taught us, lad X. But that's yeah, we can look for a chiasm. That's one. There you go, chiasm. There you go. There's one that that's comes before that, though. There's there's one that's more general. There's there's a couple. Like one of them is we look at the you know we look at the original language to see if there's any mystery words. Which of is there, there an idiom? Pardon? Is idiom the there, First one? We can we can look at idiom, but the one that you're missing is so easy. You're just going to die because you do it automatically now. You look at the context 
of the passage. <laughs> I almost said that, and then I thought, well, that's too obvious. That's too <laughs> obvious. <laughs> and I want to remind you, look how this is, look how this scripture is laid out. Micah 5 at the top, big heading, chapter change, you know, and it starts talking about it. And then it has this really weird verse. I want, I'm using this to remind you that there's no such thing as a chapter or a title change in the Hebrew Bible, in any of this, these manuscripts. So we need to back up to chapter four and see if there might've been something ahead of this. Okay. So we're just looking not at the historical context. We're looking at the context of the verse itself in the passage. So there's this whole part about the last days and the mountain of the Lord and the Lord's going to come judge and blah, blah, blah. That, that seems like a kind of a standalone thing. But then this next part, there's another in that day, which is like a marker for a new passage. So in that day, declares the Lord, in the end times, I'm going to gather the lame. I'm going to reassemble everybody who's been exiled. I The people who were lame, those that a strong nation drove away, those are going to be my remnant. And I myself am going to rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And as for you, you, stronghold of daughter Zion, you, watchtower of the flock, who could that be? Who is the stronghold of Zion? It's Jerusalem, right? See, he's talking to Jerusalem and he says, your former you know, dominion, your kingship will be restored. So stop crying. Do you think you have no king? Do you think your kings have all died and pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor? Head slap. There it is. You see how how we get fooled by these chapter divisions? If we just look back and find where the passage as a whole started, it's going to very often shed that kind of light on what we're just wrestling with. So she who is in labor in the context has to be Jerusalem, right? The people, his people. You can go with that, right? Okay. <laughs> it says, writhe in ang- agony like a woman in labor, daughter Zion, because you ha- are going to have to go into exile for now. You are going to go to Babylon. And, and in this case, he's, you know, the, the Israelites in the north, they went to Assyria. Judah's going to get end up getting conquered by Babylon. And so, um, the, this prophecy in Micah is prophesying that, yeah, you, you, Zion, you, the people of Jerusalem and Judah, you are going to go into exile, but you will be rescued. The Lord will redeem you out of their hands. But for now, many nations are coming against you. They gloat 
over what they're going to do to you, but they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand the big plan. They don't understand that the Lord has gathered them to that the Lord will has gathered these nations to the threshing floor and that one day daughter Zion will rise and thresh them for I will give you horns of iron I will give you hooves of bronze and you will break to pieces many nations marshal your troops now but you Bethlehem you're small it's out of you the ruler will come. So Israel, meaning in this in this case, Israel and Judah combined. After once once they're taken into exile, the name reverts to just plain Israel. Israel will be abandoned in exile until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. So if she's in labor, who is this son that's going to come? That was a real question. You can answer. Oh. That. <laughs> now, does this does this go back to the the messianic prophecy? Yeah, it's talking about this ruler who's going to shepherd Israel. This ruler who's going to shepherd Israel in the end times, right? Um, is going to stand and shepherd his, in verse four, he's going to stand and shepherd his flock in great strength. They will live securely. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So this verses two, three, four are the messianic prophecy. Verse two in particular um, is the verse that's quoted in Matthew about Jesus. Question. Yeah. Um, okay, I was I was really stretching to follow you there for a few minutes, few seconds, but okay. I think I caught up now. But um, so I'm still confused about verse three. Um, Israel is the one who's bearing the son, but the son is Jesus. She who is in labor, yeah, Jerusalem will bear a son, basically Israel, yes, will bear, is in labor, labor being, we found in that last chapter, being the metaphor for their suffering while they're in exile. Okay, so, um, but Jesus was born before all this stuff happens that Jesus, Jesus you know, is born yes so Jesus so he was born after the labor before the end times so but this is still referring to not what happened at his birth but what happens at his return yes you see okay. so so, so kind Jesus, of three prophecies like all stuck together it's well the time frames kind of telescoped right so, okay. Okay. so it's talking about Jesus. Definitely, as as a Christian, I believe this, and that's what Matthew is saying. And you know, right. I, I I do have to say that that Jews don't see Jesus in this. They right see some another Messiah, you know, but but it hasn't been born yet. What who whatever you know? Yeah, a whole lot of that's a whole another topic for another day. But but. Um, <laughs> As far as Christians go, 
Israel is was in, in labor and was suffering due to being scattered all across the world. Their, their nation was completely disintegrated. And out of them comes Jesus, who was intended, is intended to be ruler over Israel and whose origins are, are from old, from ancient times. What are Jesus's origins? We, I think that's in like Matthew one. Let's flip over. Yeah, it's from everybody. Go all over. Everlasting. Yeah. It go, well, his origin. Oh, it goes back to, to David, right? To David. David. Yep. To the son of Abraham. You see? So mm-hmm. Matthew picked up this prophecy out of Micah, and that's why Matthew starts his gospel with this genealogy, is because he has to show that Jesus has roots all the way back to David and Abraham. Well, let me ask you this. I said that was if, right. if this was a messianic prophecy, um, doesn't that mean that, that Micah got some of it wrong? Talk to me and, more about uh, that. Well, I mean, all this stuff about being the ruler over Israel, about uh, uh, saving them from the Assyrians. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just a lot, of this, a lot of this stuff that doesn't work. Exactly. Good going, Woody. That's exactly right. So <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> What could that mean? What could that mean? So I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to read this Assyrian part and then I'm going to uh, unshare my screen so I can see your faces. So what Woody is referring to is that after this ruler shepherds his flock um, in the strength of the Lord and causes them to live securely and the flock can be none other than Israel, right? Restored. And, mm-hmm. and when Jesus's greatness will reach the end of the earth, Then it says in verse five, he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. That's like a literary thing. Seven, even eight. You know, we will defend ourselves against the Assyrians and we will be successful. We will rule the land of Assyria with the sword Um, Our new ruler, Jesus, will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. So, wow. Is that something we haven't studied yet, but will come into play in Revelation, like that final battle and Armageddon and all that? You know, there is no Assyria in the world today, is there? There's no such thing. The land, that green blob, the, the, the green blob that, that was Assyria is mostly Iraq now with some lop over into Iran and Turkey and Syria. Um, right, but it's still this, I mean, that blob of land still exists, whether or not it's still called Assyria. In Micah's viewpoint, it would have still been called Assyria regardless of what it's called today. The political entity still certainly exists, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. The invasion of Gog and Magog. You know, which don't don't throw in things they don't know yet. That's not fair. 
So <laughs> well, that's I, that's right. why I was trying to step lightly on what I was saying when I said, you know, because we haven't got there yet and we will yes. get there eventually. You know, but, um, but I want us to stick with Micah because I think Woody's question is a good question. Did Micah get part of it wrong? Well, what, it, what I keep thinking is what does this mean about the prophets in general? Uh, maybe specifically Micah, but it's like, yes, they were um, visionaries. They um, uh, were inspired by Yahweh, but they weren't predictors of the future necessarily. Not, not in the sense of making a movie script of it. Right. But just right? because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. When when you see that most of the other prophecies have indeed already been fulfilled, then I don't have a problem trusting that any prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet will eventually. Okay. So Marlene, so you had something to yeah, say. Yeah. I I I've been trying to put all this together in my head. And I think, you know, part of what you said earlier about the prophecy being telescoped from the perspective of the prophet um, would make sense that, that the prophet could potentially see all of this as being a single story that will happen all within a significant time frame, um, And um, the region as we know, even today, all of these countries around Israel are still enemies of Israel. Um, and, and that is just historically goes all the way back that, that, that Israel is the sort of standout in this region, which, I mean, these other countries are also frequently at war with each other, but Israel seems to be sort of the focus of hatred and resentment because they came back into the area and expelled the Palestinians and, you know, keep making trouble mm -hmm. in the area claiming that, well, you know, this is our land. God gave us this land. Therefore we don't care what we do to the other people that were here because it's our land. Um, and, and so you've got that tension even today that perhaps was part of Micah's vision way back when, but the part that is a problem for me then is that he's talking about Assyria being the, the enemy that's going to try and march through the country, but we're going to throw them back. But it wasn't Assyria that came into Judah and overthrew them. It was Babylon. Yes. <laughs> so what does Assyria have to do with the warning that Micah was giving to Judah and Jerusalem in this time? That's a great question. Do you have an answer? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm so confused. Isn't by... Babylon still, Babylon was still part of that huge Assyrian it was. green blob? Yes, Babylon so was still part same... of Assyria at this time. Um, okay. Babylon is just now beginning to flex. Uh, we're going to see in uh, the next lesson or the next one, I don't remember which one, but but one really, really soon, we're going to see um, Babylon begin to become more of a player. 
So we are in the part of the Bible where the power of Assyria begins to dwindle, the power of Babylon begins to grow, and it becomes a big red blob instead of a big green blob. Same blob. Okay, so when they're talking, so let me see if I get this this is straight. So when they're talking, like he's talking about Assyria, he's just talking about the big green blob. Yes. Okay. Not an actual person or country he's just talking about the whole green blob together yes that That political power yes okay blob it's an empire (laughs) it's an empire it is called literally called the assyrian empire you know that's what he's talking about okay okay and so for for our purposes and um I really want to focus on uh, the things that that um, Woody and Marlene are bringing. You know, these questions are really good questions. So it's a future event. Because um, I want I want you to begin to understand uh, that that reading prophecy is like eating a piece of that Greek pastry. Is it called baklava? What is it called? Mm-hmm. That's layers mm-hmm. and yeah. layers of flaky crust and figs and honey. And you take a bite and all the pieces fall out, you know, and, <laughs> and there's, there's, there's all these different layers and flavors that very often in scripture, the image of eating is used in in association with understanding prophecy. Eat this scroll. Eat this baklava. Okay. And um, it is prophecy. I've, I've shown you the pretzels, right? You remember our pretzel mm-hmm. layers about time, past, present, and future? God does not live inside of one of those strata. God is far bigger when God speaks something, it is accomplished. Even if the physical outworking doesn't happen till long, 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 long time later, right? So we tend to want to take these prophecies and put timestamps next to each verse. <laughs> and that's not how it works. Because these prophets are eating the baklava. They're eating all the layers and they're understanding it holistically. So when they're speaking these words, we can understand, we can, from where we sit, pick out the things that have happened. Lots of this is pretty obvious. Israel did go into exile. (laughs) Judah did go to Babylon. We can tell that. We know that happened, you know. We know Jesus came, but there are many parts of it that, that even we can tell from if, if we had been reading way back then, we would know that all this day of the Lord and then the peace, the reign of Jesus, the reign where the Lord sits in Zion and reigns is after that. And we know none of that has happened yet. Right. That's what I, I that's what I was going to say is what if we're in the still the oh god here's my blurred out it's probably going to embarrass me what what if we're still in the fallout of the baklava and we don't know because those things have not been pieced together still 2000 years later exactly 
Exactly. Including including the the laboring under it, and it's going to happen when it no longer happens. But we're still in it. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm saying that that we should never try to timestamp prophecy or pin down a name um, when when the when the Lord or His prophets. When the Lord talks to his prophets, so if the Lord was going to talk to you and, and have you prophesy about a spiritual reality, a danger, would the Lord talk to you about Assyria? No, he'd talk to you about Dallas or New York or, you know, terrorists from who knows where. But, but the Lord would be using words that you could comprehend in order for you to speak. All right. So the fact that it refers to Assyria and we know Assyria like disintegrates here pretty quick and no longer exists does not bother me as much, but it could bother you. You're allowed to say, well, Micah just screwed that part up. You know, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. not right. That's okay. You can absolutely, you absolutely have that right and that ability to use your mind and decide how to interpret this. All I'm bringing to the table is just trying to point out that I think the Lord and his prophets deal in the spiritual realities, not the physical ones as much. And so to me, the spiritual reality is what somebody pointed out here that Marlene, I think that, that the animosity of that entire region towards Israel is still a thing, has always been a thing. Go ahead, Marlene. I was going to just ask, so do we think or know that the prophets, when they had these visions and when they prophesied, did they understand that this was not a single event in in like a lifetime or two lifetimes? Did they understand that this could be something that could stretch out hundreds, if not thousands of years? Well, it is thousands of years um, into the future that, you know, things might be starting here, but it could be thousands of years before this prophecy was completed. Or did they see it as a single sort of generational event? I think that the answer is both and. I think that the prophets very often were expecting it to happen now. Now. Um, And that that and I actually think that that is valid because I think it could have happened now. They could have been defended from Assyria if they had turned to the Lord at that point. Every evidence points to that, but they didn't. So then there's this other, you know, all this other stuff happens. Even Paul in the new Testament was thinking it's going to happen now. Sell your houses. You know, (laughs) know? (laughs) it's, it's going to go stand outside and look at the sky. It's time to happen. You know? Um, so, So, so what a prophet thinks, um, is, is depends on that person, depends on that prophet. Uh, But I do think that in all of these prophecies, we will see 
that our response makes a difference. That's why I started this lesson with that chart that compared God's promise to our responses and the different results. I don't think the story is written yet. I think Israel could have repented and turned to the Lord and they would not have been overrun by Assyrians the first time. Yeah, go ahead. So here's another question. (laughs) Um, We have the, the, the time period in which these prophecies are taking place and the writings are referring to, um, which are dealing with Israel and its idolatry and Assyria coming and wiping it out. And then Judah and its idolatry and also being dispersed. And then there is this promise of gathering up the remnant and coming back. And we see that later and we're not there yet, but you know, it happens. And then, Israel grows again, you know, we get to the time of Jesus and there's Israel and there's the temple in Jerusalem and all that, but there is another conqueror in Rome and there, we know there is going to be another diaspora that continued until after world war two. Yeah. And in fact, during the time of Jesus, they never did have during the time of Jesus and leading up to it, they never actually had a, a self-ruler or any semblance of peace. And they were True. hoping that Jesus was going to be that ruler. Well, Some were, yeah. were following the prophecy. Yeah, many um, of the disciples the thought, oh, here we go, you know? <laughs> right. Um, right. Even those who believed him to be Messiah, especially those who believed him to be Messiah, believed that it was going to happen in their lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, but Marlene, Israel, I, I know I cut you off, honey. Yeah, yeah. My question Hi, was, Hi, I mean, the, the, Hi, the, the, the prophecies were about that event back, you know, hundreds of years before the time of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically from our perspective, looking back on history, we can see that there were basically three diasporas. There was the dissolving of Israel. There was the dissolving of Judah. And then they came back and they rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple. And then there was the diaspora of, you know, from the, the Romans up until modern times. And that's, you know, was that, do scholars think that that was incorporated in these prophecies or was that just not mentioned? Did that sort of fall in a valley between two peaks that the prophets could see? Because they weren't worshiping idols at the time that that happened. They were, you know, they they were, you know, corrupt. And, you know, a lot of the people that were ruling religiously in Jerusalem at the time were corrupt, but they were following the law at least the letter of the law but were they because that's when jesus overthrew the money changers and stuff in the temple part of that was for paying for i guess what we would call indulgences and there was still like temple prostitution going on and all sorts of things and also you mentioned after world war ii i learned when I was in my history major years ago, that it was not, I don't think the gathering of the remnant after World War II 
was more human imposed than like God doing it because there's still so much unrest because of it. And nobody in that area, they just, you know, the, wasn't the UN because they didn't exist yet, but it was like the UN said, no, this is where all the Jewish people are going. We don't want them here. Let's talk about that for a second, because, um, because I want you to look at the Balfour Declaration and the, you know, and the formation of the nation of Israel after the Second World War and compare that, what that looked like and looks like now to these end time prophecies of the regathering. Do they look like the same thing? No, no. That's, what, me, what are the differences? I happen to know, like, um, from some just. I had friends that were in Brazil. And so I know a little bit about Brazil and statistics in Brazil. There were more Jewish people living in Brazil than there were in Israel. Mm-hmm. So well, there, really- there are more, there are more Jews in the U S probably there are in. So, um, what, but what about the, what about the other parts of the, that go with the regathering? That regathering is never in isolation in scripture. What are the characteristics of the regathering? What does what do all of the prophets say its characteristics are? Peace. 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 Yeah. No war. No war, not even training for war. And, and, and the, the influence of the ruler, being felt throughout the world. That's right. And there's one other big piece. And that is that all the nations of the world stream to Israel to worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that that's. So these two things are not looking the same to me. <laughs> you know? So, so do you, so. Do you think that you know, this may be wandering off base, but do you think that the that the creation of the modern nation of Israel is not part of this prophecy? That this was strictly manipulated by humans um, who are trying to sort of like it seems we so often do try to cram events or our own desires. And say, oh, well, this is what the Bible's talking about. I think that the Jews absolutely needed to have a homeland mm-hmm. after World War II without question. Mm-hmm. I think the way it was done was wrong. Mm-hmm. I think the way it is being done is wrong. And the fruit of it has been death and destruction and warfare. That's one of the ways I know it was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I also think that it is not the fulfillment of these biblical prophecies because we just looked at those biblical prophecies and said, "Ah, no, doesn't, doesn't tick any of the boxes, you know? And I think that people that because men men nations need justification religious justification for the things they do i think the bible was used as justification for israel being given this particular land 
in this particular way. So there could potentially be a possibility that Israel might go through another. No, that that uh, uh, that's a millennial kingdom uh, prophecy. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to overstep my bounds. That's okay. What do you, what do you say, Ross? I said to, that that prophecy uh, that we're talking about. That's a millennial kingdom. Well, all of them are. They're all the same. You know, every single yeah, one we read, and the, all the say, ones we're yeah. going to get to are going to be the same. Yeah the the uh, the current one. Yeah, not not so much. <laughs> What what is Ross? Um, remind me what millennial kingdom means. That's post tribulation. So we haven't gotten that far yet, but that is the name given to the period of time after the day of the Lord. Remember how we've talked about how the how okay. cataclysmic day of the Lord, and then the mm-hmm. Lord reigns in peace from Zion, and all the nations stream, and you know every okay change completely. That peaceful period that period in um uh in the bible is um set to be a thousand thousand year reign and so and then there's another big event and then we get to the end and so so that is where millennial comes from so that is a millennial kingdom is that kingdom of peace that that has all these characteristics of no war etc etc the lord ruling so so there's so there's a, a possibility, you know, I was always taught, and my mom had this, always had this very apocalyptic worldview. I mean, it, she was looking for signs of the end times under the bed and around the corner. To the <laughs> day she got. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. I want to go. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> it's all in the Bible. It's there. You know, the price of coffee went up. Oh yeah, that's in the Bible. It's in the end times. Um, <laughs> So, um, you know, so I was steeped in this, that, that, you know, we have begun the end times as of the formation of the nation of Israel after World War II. Right. But that's people who think that fulfilled those prophecies and they haven't read those prophecies as far as I can tell. And, and, and so my question is that, you know, we are seeing things within the context of our historical period, but. You know, if you look back over history, nations have come and gone. Empires have come and gone. The geographic map has changed. The political maps have changed, you know, ad infinitum. And so it is possible that the current modern nation of Israel could undergo all sorts of change and evolution yet again, maybe even Mm -hmm. dissolve again before these prophecies are actually fulfilled absolutely that we should not tie these prophecies to the declaration by the united nations you know 1947 or nine whatever it was um right although many people do the setting of the final clock many people do tie those together i'm just saying i don't see that evidence in scripture Barb, you've got something. I think part of it too is, and I think you you brought this up, Gail, is that as human beings, we want to label things and we want it to be this way and want to make, we want to take what it says in the Bible and uh, and, um, basically ascribe it or assign it to this event 
or assign this event to what's in the Bible, you know, whichever tack we take, just because we're humans. And so we want, and so we go, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, Marlene, oh, the price of coffee went up. Oh, yes, that's, you know, and so that means, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. And we just, because that's just what we do. And, uh, you know, we like to put labels on things. It makes us comfortable. And uh, to, to be able to delineate things. And so that's why um, we have to, I mean, as Christians, we, we study the Bible and we have to keep studying it because every time, I mean, every time I study it, I, I go, oh, that's not what I thought before. And, yeah. you know, and I learned something new and it just, um, that, you know, we just, and we have to keep um, open minds as we learn new things. I mean, not an open mind to the point where we discard what's in the Bible, but about our our own um, opinions and thoughts. We can discard some of those and say, oh yeah, I was wrong. Yeah. Thanks. And I want to, I'd like to end here actually, just by, by saying that this is the point I want you to use as a takeaway from our study of prophecy. And that is that the important part is the heart of God, not the details. The important part is I am your God. I'm going to do whatever it takes to dwell with you, to bless you and protect you. You are undergoing trials and tribulations right now, and those will continue until I come. I being Jesus, I being the Lord, Holy Spirit, it's all one, you know, one thing, right? It's God. Until I come, and I'm going to come, and you're going to know it's me. (laughs) There is going to be no question about it. Everybody will see me come. All right. So you notice that Jesus' birth was in between those two things, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And and so so Jesus, when he's talked about in scripture, is talked about in this kind of dual way. Like, yeah, he was a baby born in Bethlehem, he was a ruler son of David. But when they're talking about fulfilling these prophecies, it's Jesus as Christ in the second coming, which is the day the Lord comes. That is the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. And the last thing is, and then everybody will know because there will be no mistake about it. I showed up. <laughs> and, and he is I'm, called and, and I'm, he is called the word of God. And I exactly the word, the, the voice, the word, and I will make such a peace and that you can have never seen. And we're going to come to some beautiful descriptions of what that peace is. And, and I am going to make it so there is no war anymore. And eventually, you know, somebody's going to try it again and I'm going to like, squash that immediately and we (laughs) and we will have a new heaven and a new earth so you know spoiler alert it's going to be amazing (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. That, that is all that's important. That's what's important. That we cling to God's storyline. Regardless of the ups and the downs of the events. I would hate to be a Bible teacher who had hung her hat on the current nation of Israel needing to have fulfilled those prophecies. And then something happens and Israel is overtaken, you know, by a world power, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. your whole worldview would shatter. I I don't want y'all in that position. Um. Could I, could I say something? You know, of course. Pardon me. So the, re, the rebirth or the reform of Israel just seems like uh, at this point a sign of the end times. It's not the actual end all what God talks about. I think that the end time, there are many signs of that, that we are living yeah. in the end times. Um, but those that would not be one that I named. There are many named in the New Testament that we will get to. Um, I do agree that we're living in in times. I think people have been living in the end times, though, since Jesus left the first time. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jesus' disciples and Paul all thought that they were living in the immediate within my mm-hmm. lifetime. Then if you look I mean, at end times, it's a time. I mean, to God. A thousand years is as a day, and a day is as a yeah. thousand years. So mm-hmm. that's that yeah, so God's time, time again. All those two thousand years. You know? It's like as yeah. far as God is Kelly. concerned, it has been accomplished because God has spoken it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. end today. That's just a whole bunch for us to absorb. <laughs> and uh, y'all have hung in there and been great. And I promise it gets easier from here. Well, this wasn't as hard <laughs> as last week. Last week, yeah, this is true. This. I watched last week's video and yes, it was hard. <laughs> All I got from this week was baklava in Dallas and New York. <laughs> <laughs> See you next Bye. week. Bye. 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 Bye.